from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to the special edition of U.S. Farm Report. It's our annual Harvest of Thanks. And we have a lot in store, including stories of gratitude and perseverance this Thanksgiving weekend. Life lessons three quarters of a century in the making. It's just unbelievable the change that has come in my life. A true tractor treasure symbolizing a family's legacy and love for the land. The tractor's never been outside the family. It's a time capsule that's been in the same family for nearly 100 years. A community coming together to help a farm family at the height of harvest in the midst of loss. Community, friends, family, um, neighbors just have been so supportive and helpful. He wanted to do things well. And in John's world. The Farmer's Almanac or the National Weather Service. U.S. Farm Report, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on a cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Well, each fall, we often hear stories of communities that came together to help a fellow neighbor in need. And that was the case this year for one Iowa family. Reporter Connor Woodruff tells us that it was truly a harvest of things. Steve was very particular about doing things. Um, he was, um, he wanted to do things the right way and that extended into his personal life too. And he really um, touched a lot of people that way. After a year of chemotherapy to battle esophageal cancer, Steve Copenhaver passed away. His death was felt especially hard by his widow, Amy, and their children. I do various things with him that he taught me how to do well. Um, it was a really great experience. Thanks to the help of friends from just next door, along with regional volunteers, the Copenhavers are having one of their best harvests ever. Our community throughout this whole year, um, community, friends, family, um, neighbors, just have been so supportive and helpful. He wanted to do things well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is our best harvest that we've ever had. <laughs> A regional nonprofit, Farm Rescue, chipped in with manpower and equipment get to use my farming knowledge every day to help families in a time of need. Farm Rescue provides support for farm families going through hardships. They provide support through sending equipment, organizing volunteers, or in this case, both. They're going to do about 300 acres for us, um, which is a lot. This would normally take us a couple weeks, mm -hmm. um, and they're able to do that in three days. Over 30 volunteers came out to help Steve's family the way he would have done it. Patient, uh, uh, just to the detail, uh, um, just a perfectionist, and it shows by the crop yields we're getting this year on his crops here uh, with it being a drought year. Helping a farmer's lifelong legacy continue on. Well, Farm Rescue is helping assist with harvests like that across the country. And up next, we travel to a different part of Iowa to see how a farm family that dealt with devastation after a tornado tore through turned to Farm Rescue for help. Well, it was a busy and active tornado season this year with 1,100 confirmed tornadoes so far. One touchdown in Iowa and a farm family was right in its path. But that's where Farm Rescue stepped in an organization that helps with injuries or illnesses or natural disasters that strike a farm. They step in to help with harvest in a remarkable way. I'm Clint Wettstein. I am fifth, sixth generation farmer here in Wellman, Iowa. The operation's been the family for forever and ever. 
Um, I have a son and a daughter. They're both in high school and I have my wife teaches elementary school in the next district east of us. My uncle's house here is kind of where the, the home place always was and my dad's place is the next place south. My dad and my uncle have been farming together since the early 60s. Afternoon of the tornado, my uncle who's semi-retired, he was out helping me and my son vaccinate pigs and it was about 20 till four, we got done. Me and the boy ran home to get cleaned up. Ed was kind of poking around in the nursery. His wife called him and said, hey, there's a tornado coming, get to the house. He didn't quite make it all the way down the stairs before the house started falling in on him. He come out all right, didn't get hurt. All of my family was at home and my kids had some friends over. Outside on the porch and we saw it coming, so we made it all to the basement. Um, there was eight of us counting my two kids and my granddaughter and two dogs in the basement bathroom. And uh, everybody says it sounds like a freight train. Well, it really didn't. We didn't know the house was gone until we got up off the floor and opened the bathroom door and saw that the hallway was full of debris. <laughs> and we were kind of stuck in the basement for a while we didn't realize the walkout was covered by the east wall of the house when you're in that moment you just don't know what to think i called my buddy who's the fire chief and i said hey we're stuck in our house and he said we're dropping everything we're on our way kind of looked around a little bit and realized that the uh, basement window was not covered so hoisted my son out and by the time everybody else was ready to get out of the basement the fire department was there and pulled us out we were supposed to start calving Saturday the 1st, but we had, I don't know, half a dozen calves out here. We only had one of those calves survive. Some of our equipment was damaged, our chore tractor and our big front wheel assist. That was my tillage tractor and what I pulled my drill that I plant beans with. So got the farm rescue guys in to help us do that. And boy, that's kind of a lifesaver. I've been a Wiffles seed rep for, I think, going on 13 years. I first heard about Farm Rescue, oh, maybe last year when I went to a Wiffles meeting and, and Farm Rescue put on a presentation and, you know, you watch something like that at a meeting and you, you just never think that you're going to be the reciprocant of their generosity, so pretty humbling. My uh, sister from La Crosse, Wisconsin has been involved with Farm Rescue for some time now and she called and she says, has anybody reached out to you? And I'm like, well, no, well, I'm going to make some phone calls and they're going to call you. Okay, that's fine. So I received a call from uh, Ben and I kind of explained, you know, what had happened. And he says, well, we can bring a tractor down and we can do your tillage. And the next thing he says is, we'll come down and plant your beans too. I'm like, wow, that would be amazing. They brought down a, a brand new planter. As soon as they get those acres knocked out, we're gonna hook that planter up and uh, start planting some beans. You hear about them and like I say, you just never expect to need them at your place and when you do, it's really amazing how fast the wheels get turning and, and people show up to help. So it can make or break a year for a guy, you know, getting that crop in or getting it out and you know, you only got a limited window in either end and to get help to get it done is pretty impressive. So really, really appreciate it. What amazing work they do. And to learn more about Farm Rescue, you can visit farmrescue.org. You can also check out the QR code on your screen. 
Farm Rescue helps with rescues across the country, including Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Just amazing work that they do. All right, up next, an uptick in sentiments in the farm economy. We'll break it all down. We have the latest from the Ag Economist's Monthly Monitor. That's next. Well, as commodity prices were sinking this fall, sentiments across ag economists continued to fall. But the latest Ag Economist Monthly Monitor has some optimism to share. After two consecutive months of waning ag economic outlooks, economists' views took a turn in the November Ag Economist's Monthly Monitor. So I see out of this monitor this month that we're seeing a lot more positives than we've seen for the last couple of months. University of Missouri Ag Economist Scott Brown helps author the monthly monitor survey each month. He says as commodity prices have seen some momentum, outlooks among economists are now shifting. Well, I think when you look at where we are in terms of our estimate of crop prices, and, and we're talking about crop prices for the crop we harvest next fall at this point in time, we saw a number of respondents now more positive, maybe the most positive we've been since we started uh, our estimates for 24-25, for uh, both corn and soybeans uh, continue to move higher. So more, more positive news this month. That positivity also boosted net farm income estimates. The monthly monitor focused on 2024 this month, and ag economists now expect a big spike month over month in net farm income forecasts for the new year. Uh, farm income uh, estimates were raised almost $5 billion time for 2024 uh, relative uh, to what we would have said in, in October. And I think that just resonates as you look at higher estimates of corn prices, higher estimates of soybean prices. Things just look a little better than where we were a couple of months ago. So what's driving improved outlooks in the farm economy? Well, the biggest factor right now seems to be Brazil. So I think on the corn side of the equation, uh, seeing some some potential sales to China, uh, as well as then just the dry weather in Brazil, I think has a lot to do with it. I think on the soybean side, that that same South American issue certainly exists that's made us more positive. But but at the same time, I think there's still some interest in growing uh, renewable diesel demand, et cetera, that I think is also important to that soybean outlook. The latest USDA report pegged Brazil's corn production at 129 million metric tons. But according to the monthly monitor, that estimate may be too optimistic. Our survey of, of the economists would have suggested 126 and a half right now. Um, we did have you know some answering very near that 129 and others say 125. So I think it's a combination of weather and as well as economics, not all that great, that uh, is leading to some lower estimates. This month's survey also asked ag economists to rank the health of the farm economy by geography. The strongest region of the country? Well, according to economists who were surveyed, it's the Midwest. I think we ended up with especially better corn yields than anybody would have thought. Um, maybe soybean yields not even as bad as some would have suggested. And then again, cattle uh, still being very positive there. I think there's where, although cattle's positive for the Plains area, perhaps dry weather had a lot to do with what was answered on the Plains side. The West was the lowest ranked, uh, not all that far from, from where the Plains uh, was. I think just the mix of commodities there might be what's at play in terms of answering the West as the lowest. Economists are still concerned, though, about how interest rates could negatively impact agriculture over the next 12 months. But for the first time since the survey was introduced, economists now view interest rates as a possible positive over the next year. The news that we seem to be getting right now is uh, 
although inflation's still a problem, maybe less so than it uh, we would have thought. Uh, so perhaps we're we're getting near the end of interest rate increases. I even see some out there suggesting we could get lower interest rates as we get into 2024. While crop prices turn more positive, economists are also still bullish cattle. Uh, we are talking about an industry that continues to talk about record or near record, and perhaps in early 2024, we get back to record prices yet again. Optimism on cattle and an elevated outlook for net farm income as a whole. Both were bright spots in the Ag Economist Monthly Monitor survey as we start to wrap up 2023. Well, as Scott pointed out, drought is definitely playing a big role in the overall farm financial health this year. All right, how accurate is the Farmer's Almanac? Sean's World is next. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Well, the Farmer's Almanac started in 1792, and today it's still the oldest continuously published periodical in North America. But how accurate is it? That's John's World this weekend. About this time of year, an annual debate begins about winter weather predictions. Some of the most intense conversations center around the Farmer's Almanac. Scientific American Magazine published an analysis of the accuracy of those almanac forecasts, which I have found uh, very helpful. Like the fact there are two magazines, didn't know that. There's the Farmer's Almanac and the Old Farmer's Almanac. The difference is, well, the apostrophe and the original publication dates, not what I thought, the reader's age. The old one was first printed in 1792, the other began in 1818. Their respective weather forecasting techniques are kept highly secret, and both have gained considerable followings, especially among, well, farmers. The comparison between those secret formulas and the scientific methods used by NOAA or the UK's Met Office is usually the focus of the disputes. I have been impressed with the accuracy of longer range forecasts from the National Weather Service. My favorites are right here, the six to 10 day and the eight to 14 day outlooks, which certainly helped us this year, and especially in the falls, we struggled to finish harvest without panicking. Almanac publishers point out they have been doing long range predictions for decades, especially winter forecasts, their top product. The Old Farmer's Almanac claims 80% accuracy, but the definition of accurate is somewhat opaque. The article pointed out that while their forecasting techniques are kept in the vault with the Coke formula, presumably, they are working in a, in a growing volume of information and data from official weather agencies. One publisher disclosed they use solar activity and moon motion, which most scientists consider to have a very tiny effect. The Almanac products are also backward looking, derived from past data that come close to current conditions. Weather agencies are tending more toward predictive computer models. Climate change may make this process more problematic for the almanacs as weather records for heat and precipitation are broken routinely, making every year unlike past years. 
for a scientific publication, the authors are very respectful of the almanacs. They do point out a crucial aspect of this debate. It doesn't matter if people do not act on the predictions. As for this winter, the almanacs generally agree with each other and contradict Noah. Well, that should clear things up. Well, I'm sure some of you may be having conversations about the farmer's almanac around the Thanksgiving dinner table this year. Thanks, John. And stay tuned because we will hear from him for his annual Harvest of Thanks message coming up. But first, a pristine tractor uncovered by Machinery Pete and his friends. So what does it take to restore something like that? We have that in Tractor Tales next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Lamar's Toy Store, the largest and most diversified farm toy store in the U.S. They have new and old and do restorations and customizations too. You need to see it to believe it. Visit LamarToyStore.com or call us at 712-546-4305. An untouched piece of history. That's what Machinery Pete and his friend Danny Anderson recently stumbled upon. So what does it take to restore a tractor that's nearly 100 years old? That's Tractor Tales this weekend. Just miles from the ocean in Virginia Beach is a tractor that's nearing a century old. Unfortunately, we live in a world that's kind of throwing stuff away. But let's put our foot down and let's not throw this beautiful machine away because it means something. It's a rare find that Machinery Pete also describes as a family gym. That's the whole thing to me is that uh, just to, an honor to, to meet someone like Lewis and have him stand by the tractor and just listen to the story about, uh, you know, his dad, grandpa, and what it was used for breaking ground here with a six-foot desk to help, you know, Virginia farming kind of take off back 100 years ago. It's a piece of our past, and it, it is rare that a tractor of this age in the same family. So it's, you know, strictly from a resale standpoint, I can tell you from 34 years doing what I do, whenever, again, not that they're looking to sell this, but the fact that it's one owner been in the family is the first thing that I always suggest people say about it when you're selling it because it means something. The Farmall Regular from the 1920s is one that stayed in the same family for nearly 100 years. And one Danny Anderson of Dirt Boys knows a lot about. Machinery Pete says Danny specializes in restoring farmall tractors, and he got his start at just 17 years old. The two that are in the shop right now that I just finished this spring is number 434 and 435 that I've done in my career. Danny says on a potential tractor restoration like this, where the tractor has been untouched and setting for decades, it's a project that would require a complete restoration. Probably between 100 and 250 hours to do this whole entire tractor. And what could consume the most time is everything that would need to be rebuilt. You're going to take the transmission apart and the rear end and, you know, the motor, you're going to take, that's the main, main thing on here. The other challenge is the restoration project would require sandblasting the entire tractor to erase the damage done by the salinity in the air. All this steel and stuff, this will all have to be, you know, ground down and made all smooth and then we'll fill everything and make it all smooth again like it was when it was brand new. While a tractor restoration like this would take time and TLC, Machinery Pete says it wouldn't be impossible for a family that's built their own business that's prospering and growing. They're getting it done here in their own way and it's beautiful and, uh, you know, to have a young guy like Lewis's grandson passionately in the business talking about connecting customers. That, that gives people hope 
not just in this area, but all of agriculture, U.S. and beyond. So I tip my hat to what they built and excited for their future. Well, stay tuned because coming up next, we have our annual Harvest of Thanks special. That story behind the family heirloom, that's a tractor treasure for the Colifer family, to unlocking the knowledge and insight of a seasoned farmer who is grateful to carry on his harvest tradition. Our annual Harvest of Think special is next. Hi, I'm Scott Kay, Vice President of U.S. Ag Solutions at BSF. Coming to you today from my family farm in Atlantic, Iowa. On behalf of BSF employees across the U.S., we want to thank farmers and the agriculture communities that supported them throughout this past year. Thank you for the work that you do, farmers, to put food on our table, not just for Thanksgiving, but every day. You are truly doing the biggest job on earth. From my family to yours, we wish you a happy holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hello everyone, I'm Kurt Coffey with Case IH. For me and for many of you, this is a very important time of the year. For most of you, the 2023 season is largely behind you and you're looking forward to the next season with optimism and gratitude. At Case IH, we are thankful for the opportunity to provide purposeful solutions to help our customers to be more productive, efficient, and profitable. We gather during this Thanksgiving season to celebrate the many blessings that we've been given. This truly is a time together with family and friends. On behalf of myself and the entire Case IH family, we thank you for the work that you do to advance agriculture. Have a great Thanksgiving and we'll see you in the new year. Good morning and happy Thanksgiving. I'm Clinton Griffiths. And I'm Tyne Morgan. Today, we gather together to celebrate, for some, it may include some football and a whole lot of eating, along with spending time with family and friends. And we wouldn't be able to have that big meal without our farmers and ranchers. And that's why every year we celebrate with our special Harvest of Thanks broadcast. And Clinton, you have the perfect story to kick things off this year. That's right, Tyne. There are a lot of life lessons learned during the harvest season. And for one Pennsylvania farmer, the harvest education has been three quarters of a century in the making. The hustle of harvest. Today on pause, as rain keeps equipment on the road rather than between the rows at Daughter Dairy in Mill Hall, Pennsylvania. It's not always a bad thing. It's kind of a, you know, take a breath, get, get rest it up and we'll go again. Nobody appreciates these little moments more than farm patriarch Paul Dotterer. To you, what constitutes a, a good day to harvest? It's the ability to you can get the job done. And he's still getting it done. At the start of the season, Paul went viral on social media after his granddaughter snapped this picture of him. I was like, Pop, we're just gonna do a quick photo. And he was just like, we're doing what? So we took that quick photo and it kind of just blew up. At 96 years young, Paul has been harvesting these Nittany Valley fields for decades. And he's still running. And he'll run for parts, he still drives. And I think he does pretty well for 96. I spent a lot of hours in this thing. And we got this new and 
2001. Now they take the combine out there and do, oh, in an hour, what's it take you? Two weeks to do. Married in 1949, a couple of years later, he and his wife, Jean, bought a small 15-cow dairy farm for roughly $12,000. Before I even got married, I said I'd never marry a farmer because I was raised on a farm. How'd that work? <laughs> <laughs> Together, they tackled the chores. Paul doing the farming, custom harvesting, and machinery work. His wife did most of the milking. My biggest secret was my wife. I really, uh, she helped me. Wouldn't have been for her, I don't know if I'd have made it. The surge dealer said one day you might get as high as 35 cows, and I'm But you know, history has its place on the farm too, including a 100 year old tractor that's become a today, symbol of one farm family's legacy. We'll show it to with you an eye coming up. On diversified operations. Harvest of Thanks is brought years, to you by Case IH. The Farm All has been an iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farm All, the one for all, with us at farmall100.com and by BASF. Helping you do the biggest job on earth. Guys. You got weather, move, move, move. Do what you got to do and the cows come first. And if you ask Paul what he's learned from his decades amid the rows. Well, you learn to appreciate what you got. Some years it wasn't near what you'd like to have it. Other years it'd be a plentiful harvest. A lifetime of sowing has brought reward aplenty to the daughter of farm. It's just unbelievable the change that has come in my lifetime. He might be slowing down. I had to take his motorcycle from him three years ago. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. But he's nowhere near a final pass. I'm convinced if you like what you do, don't sit down when you retire because you won't last long. A legacy and a gift worthy of harvesting in any season of life. Harvest of Thanks, brought to you by Case IH. The Farmall has been an iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farmall, the one for all, with us at farmall100.com. And by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. The first Thanksgiving meal probably didn't have a lot of the traditional things we eat today, mashed potatoes, stuffing, and the likes of those. But more than likely, scholars say it would have been made up of seafood and fresh vegetables, cornmeal, and deer for meat, but certainly not goats. Michelle Rupp joins us with more on that. One of the rarest breeds of goat in the world brought over by English settlers is finding its home in the Midwest. We visited Connor Prairie in Fishers, Indiana for a look at a couple of kids and an effort to preserve history. <laughs> Preserving the past with an eye on the future. That's the goal behind the expansion of a rare breed of goat called Irapaw that's on the brink of extinction. There's less than 300 in the U.S., there's 600 worldwide. The Irapaw goat is a dual-purpose milk and meat breed. Heritage farm Connor Prairie in Fishers, Indiana owns a small flock of the rare small ruminants. And in 1994, they were brought into the U.S. Um, and so we started with a foundation 
of six goats in the U.S. and have been able to build up to about 250 now in the U.S. Connor Prairie focuses on heritage breeds, which are described as very old breeds with historical significance, like the Arapaw, that are no longer used in modern production. Many of them have, have either gone extinct because they can't compete with commercial livestock um, and you know production animals, or they've just fallen out of favor. We work to help preserve those breeds and, and keep them a viable breed. <laughs> To achieve that goal, Connor Prairie partnered with Reproduction Specialty Group of Lebanon, Indiana to artificially inseminate does from their herd. Well, they were able to purchase some semen from the Smithsonian that had banked. Uh, in 2014, actually, is when that semen was frozen. And so it came in so we could in artificially inseminate their does with it. Uh, they have a kind of semen bank, really a bunch of different genetics of a lot of different rare animals, including things like uh, animals that are extinct in the wild today. To conduct the procedure, the Arapod does were transported to Reproduction Specialty Group on October 26. Their owner, Dr. Tad Thompson, performed the laparoscopic artificial insemination, assisted by Dr. Logan Ullery. So I just handled the anesthetic part uh, today and kind of helped facilitate um, sedating those goats and getting them to relax. They got clipped and prepped, and Dr. Tad did the laparoscopic insemination and then uh, just stitched up the two holes that we had from our little incisions. Dr. Thompson, who founded the practice with his wife Amanda, conducts more than 20,000 laparoscopic artificial inseminations annually around the world. However, he says this one was special because heritage breeds have features we may need in the future, like resistance to diseases or the ability to survive in a changing climate. They all have a little different value of genetic potential. And so we don't even know exactly what all their potential could be somewhere down the road. So it's really important to preserve those genetics and kind of keep things going. And Thompson says these and other heritage breeds need to be protected because none of us can predict what the future will hold. Thanks, Michelle. Coming up, we celebrate another tradition on the farm, the trusty tractor. We head to Virginia to discover a true tractor treasure that's remained in the same family for nearly 100 years. You know, Tyna, farm tractor has become a tradition on the farm, and if a tractor could talk, there's a lot of things one in Virginia would say. That's right, Clinton. As the seventh generation of their family farm sows new seeds of opportunity for the Colafer family, the nearly 100-year-old tractor is a time capsule of what once was. Jeb Colafer achieved his greatest dream this year, to start farming on his own. I feel like if there's something that makes you curious, you should investigate it. And luckily, I've always, I've always been curious enough about farming. That love for farming is contagious here on Colifer Farms, a love that's been passed down from Jeb's dad and granddad. When I got out of college, I worked for the Virginia Department of Transportation and farmed part-time and did that for almost 12 years. But in 1998, Mike and his wife decided it was time to chase that dream full-time. And in 2000, Mike got his chance to carry on that legacy that was built and labored by the five generations before him. Well, my family was, was from Eastern North Carolina originally. We were sharecroppers, but granddaddy was the landlord. He was very compassionate. In 1947, Lewis's parents moved here, still farming peanuts back in North Carolina, but also growing produce here in Virginia. And just like his father, Lewis had an epiphany of his own 16 years ago. 
My dad, he's, he's a creative one. He was delivering to a Whole Foods store and he came home one day and he told me, he said, they're gonna run us out of business with their marketing ideas. He said, the one thing we have that they don't have is we have a farm and they don't. He said, we need to figure out a way to get as many people to come to the farm and stay as long as they can, that that's how we can survive. With that, they moved from all wholesale to 99% retail. It's just amazing the appetite people have about how plants are grown. While their story and farm has changed, the one constant has been this antique iron, an original farm all that was the first tractor Lewis's granddad ever owned. That farm all represents our legacy. The tractor's never been outside the family. A rare tractor treasure that represents nearly a century of change and growth, as Lewis has one wish for the next 100 years. If I could come back 100 years now, I hope it's, it's pretty much like there's on it grows. We, we gotta grow, we gotta change. Mike says he cherishes his family's past and his father's foresight 16 years ago. That with Jeb, with his cattle, that we're doing the same thing my grandfather and great-grandfather did but we're really not changing. We're going forwards, but we're going backwards at the same time. A tractor that's a tribute to the past, but a nod to what's allowed the seventh generation to now grow. Jeb says for that, he's grateful. I really, I really can't express that enough. I'm, I'm very grateful to the both of them, but my father especially, he's really given me a lot of opportunity at a young age to develop my own unique interest and passion for this. And I got that from my dad. His thing was, if you think it's a good idea and we can afford to do it, do it. As Jeb wraps up his first year of carving out his own operation, it's also reigniting the passion in Mike. One of my dad's oldest friends always said, when you lose your spark, you need to quit and, and go home. And so if you lose your spark, you're in trouble. And so that Jeb kind of got my, got my spark going again. Well, any time during harvest is a busy time for farmers out in the fields. How one Indiana farmer manages to do it and it creates a legacy on another kind of field at the same time. That's next. Many farmers these days have jobs off the farm and while Russ Radke enjoys farming in Knox, Indiana as his day job, it's what happens on Friday nights that has earned him a place in history. Now I got to spend some time with this very busy man who is grateful for it all. Keep moving ladies. Every muddy step in Russ Radke's journey has centered around teamwork. Keep going boy, come on giggle. The Toto Indiana native grew up in the area's farm fields. You know our dads probably got together in the 70s and started doing things together. The two are still working together today, raising calves, feeding them out, and selling freezer beef. And our dads were working back together and we leased different pasture ground at different places. We were up to 120 cows at one time. The herd may be smaller today, but the reward is in the work. It's not a profit-oriented business, I can tell you that right now. And just making sure that when you get to December and you settle the books, the, uh, the positives equal the negatives. With acreage and herd numbers too small to make this his full-time future, decades ago, Radke turned to his second love. Sports. Let's go now, defense gotta get tough right away. Actually, I was going to Brigham Young University on a uh, graduate assistantship uh, for a basketball coach. 
and suddenly within 48 hours, I became a football coach. Rain or shine, 47 years later. But you can't go to where we caught the ball. Coach Radke is the second winningest high school football coach in Indiana history, topping 400 career wins this season at the nearby high school in Knox. When I talked to Russ last week before his game, he told me there are four things in my life. There's football, there's farming, there's basketball officiating, and there's family. And that's pretty much all that covers Russ Radke. His time in agriculture and on the family dairy helped to mold his discipline and work ethic. He's very analytical in the way that he looks at things on a football field, and he's always trying to look for that kind of an advantage. That focus helped to guide his team with the support of his two sons as assistant coaches to a near perfect season, one game shy of the state finals. I don't golf, I don't fish, I don't have time for it, okay? But other people can do it, have fun. I have fun what we're doing right now. The only other fun he has is here, amid his collection of restored antique and classic tractors, including this one, formerly used on the Indiana mint farm his wife was raised on. She don't want anything to do with him, you know? She might not even know how many I have. From tractors to bulldozers, even road graders, his collection of iron. You are on a automatic jam. Like his legacy on the gridiron, continues to grow from field to field and yard by yard. His Hall of Fame career starts and ends at the farm. It gets in your blood. I would give up coaching before I'd give up farming. Coming up, John Phipps shares his thoughts on Thanksgiving and how it's changed and will continue to change. That's next. Time now for some thoughts about Thanksgiving, old and new, in the Changing Times from John Fitz. I noticed a gradual change in the nature of my gratitude that we mark each year with this unique holiday. The usual thanks for the good harvest phrase in the blessing at dinner is a little more heartfelt as changing weather patterns adjust our expectations and inject harvest surprises. Far-flung relatives, shorter marriage tenure, longer generation intervals, and fewer offspring have made the gatherings less rowdy, but foreshadow even fewer seats and rare high chairs around the table in years to come. It is hard for this engineer not to brood over the probability calculations suggesting before long the turkey will be the only attendee too young to drive. Indeed, the average age at Thanksgiving dinners could evoke the same overtones as those unending forecasts of Social Security solvency. Sandwiched between Halloween and Christmas, Thanksgiving will endure as the most grown-up holiday of all. The infamous baby boomers, who have now been outnumbered by millennials, will provide more empty seats than long-winded debates about stuffing recipes of yore. Streaming TV will nudge our overstuffed viewing choices to wildly eclectic programs provided agreement on any can be negotiated from the host subscriptions. 
Although it always seemed a little forced to me, Black Friday shopping expeditions are losing some of their determined commercialism and fellowship aspects as fewer gifts are needed and online algorithms have already snared many of those transactions. Malls with empty stores like Missing Teeth appeal only to the most ardent bargain hunters. It may begin to dawn on us that many of the modern traditions of Thanksgiving were not really about thanks or giving. Those activities require less detailed planning and more moments of reflection and rebuilding relationships. Time to remember, of course, but time to also share hopes. Demographic and technological trends may be making Thanksgiving a smaller event, but it might e even be making it a more restful and restorative time together. I hope it is for you and yours. Well, that's all the time we have today. We hope you enjoy the rest of the day with family and friends, along with a big and a wonderful meal. For all of us here at Farm Journal, have a happy Thanksgiving.